We're going to be learning in Chidusha Ben Uchaim Alevi, the first piece in Hilchus Schirus. This is Parak Aleph, Halacha Dalid, and this is a nice, shorter, easier piece where Rab Chaim suggests two different approaches to explain a ruling of the Rambam. In the case of a Shomer, a watcher who passed the object he was watching along to another Shomer. So this is an issue that Rab Chaim already discussed at length in the second piece in Hilchus Nizke Mamon, Dalid Yud Aleph, and Rab Chaim is going to revisit a lot of the same points, especially the issue of how it works when a Shomer passes along the object to another Shomer, how that absolves the first Shomer. So Rab Chaim is going to revisit one of his major themes from that piece in Elchus Nizke Mamon. The Rambam writes, Avar HaShomer Umasa LeShomer Hasheni. If the first Shomer incorrectly gave the object to a second Shomer to watch, and then it was damaged. So, Im Yesh Edim Shishomer HaShomer Hasheni Kederach HaShomerin Venenas. If there are witnesses to testify that the second Shomer watched this object properly and the damage was not his fault, so then Patra Shomer Harishon, then the first Shomer is exempt from covering the damages because there is full proof of two witnesses that it wasn't the Shomer's fault that it was damaged. Now, if there are no witnesses to testify about what happened, so in that case, the second Shomer has to make a vow that what happened was not his fault. So then, then the first Shomer does have to cover the damages and pay the owners for the damages. Because the owner could say, I only believe you, the first Shomer in the vow, not the second Shomer. So I don't want the second Shomer's vow. So the first Shomer has to pay. Therefore, if the owners always use the second Shomer, so let's say the second Shomer is one of their good friends and they always leave things with him, so we know that they trust his vows, and then the first Shomer incorrectly gives the second Shomer an object to watch. So this specific time, the second Shomer was not given the object by the owners. He was given it by the first Shomer. But even so, if the object is damaged and there's no witnesses, the first Shomer is exempt from paying because the owners can't claim we don't believe the second Shomer's vow since they always do believe it. So in this case, the second Shomer's vow is enough to exempt the first Shomer. The Hushlo Yimait Bishmiraso. But all of this is only when they don't go down in the level of watching. So there are different levels of watching and this exemption won't apply if when the first Shomer passed it along to the second Shomer, the level of watching went down. Kate said Yimait Shmiraso. What's an example of this? If the first Shomer was being paid to watch it, and then he gave it to the second Shomer for free. So a free watcher is a lower level than a paid watcher. So since the first Shomer minimized the level of watching of this object, so he's at fault and he does have to pay for the damages. But now, even in that case where they minimized the level of watching from the first Shomer to the second one, 
if the second one brings witnesses. So he has full proof that he watched this object at a level that would exempt even a Shomer Sachar. So even a paid watcher would be exempt based on the level of watching that the second Shomer gave this object. So the damages that happened were totally beyond his control. There was no way to prevent them. And even a Shomer Sachar would be exempt from paying. And the second Shomer has witnesses that will testify about that. So then Hareza Pater. So then even though the first Shomer minimized the watching and he's at fault for minimizing the level of watching, but he's still exempt from paying the damages because there are witnesses testifying that the level of Shmira, the form of damages that happened in this case, even a Shomer Sachar would be exempt to pay. So that's how the Rambam sets up this halacha. There's basically five points that the Rambam made. Point number one is that if a Shomer gives the object to a second Shomer and it gets damaged, the first Shomer has to pay. Now, there are two ways for him to be exempt. Number one is if there are witnesses that the second Shomer was not at fault. Number two is if we know that the owners generally trust the second Shomer's vows, so that vow will exempt the first Shomer. So those are the first three points the Rambam makes. Then he adds that if they minimized the level of Shmira, so then the first Shomer is obligated to pay. But there is a way out of that if there are witnesses that the second Shomer watched it in a way that would exempt the first Shomer. Now, the Mishnah Lamelech asks, why in the second case, where they minimize the level of Shmira, does the Rambam not also say that if the owners believe the second Shomer's vows, that will also exempt the first Shomer? Meaning in the first case where it was equal Shmira, the Rambam said that there are two exemptions for the first Shomer, either if there are witnesses or if the owners believe the second Shomer's vows. In the second case where they minimize the level of Shmira, so there the Rambam only mentioned one exemption if there are witnesses, but he didn't mention the exemption of if the owners believe the second Shomer's vows. So the Mishnah Melech asks, why is there a difference when the level of Shmira went down that the owners believing the second Shomer's vows in other cases is not a relevant factor to exempt the first Shomer? And it's even more than that because the Mishnah Melech points out that reading the Rambam, it sounds like this case of the minimizing Shmira is talking about the case where the owners believe the second Shomer and still the Rambam is saying that the first Shomer has to pay and we don't believe the second Shomer's vow in that case. So the Rambam is basically explicitly saying that we only say the owners believe the second Shomer so his vow can exempt the first Shomer only when it was equal level of Shmira, not if the level went down. Then the owners believing the second Shomer is not relevant to exempt the first Shomer. And the only way to exempt the first Shomer is with witnesses. So why is that different that we don't believe the second Shomer's vows when the owners believe his vows? And why is that concept dependent on whether the level of Shmira is equal or it went down? So that's the Mishnah Lamelech's question. Says Rab Chaim that the explanation for this, as is his usual way, is to understand the conceptual basis of this halacha. When a watcher is watching something and it gets damaged, so there's an obligation 
obligation of a Shavuos HaShomrin. They have to make a vow to the owners that it wasn't their fault, that they're exempt for paying. So the first Shomer who took the object, he's obligated to make this vow. Now he doesn't know what happened because he wasn't watching it at the time. So the second Shomer makes the vow and that exempts the first Shomer. So the principle of this halacha is the idea that the second Shomer's Shvua counts in place of the obligation of a shvua that the shomer has. The first shomer either has to pay the owners or make a shvua. Now he can't make a shvua. So the second shomer is able to fulfill that obligation of a shvua on behalf of the first shomer. Now, all of that is theoretical because there is a practical problem that the owners can say, we don't believe the second Shomer's Shvua. We believe the first guy, but we don't know the second guy. So there is a potential problem in applying this theoretical concept because if the owners don't believe him, so even though the second Shomer's Shvua could exempt the first Shomer, but the owners could say, we don't believe the Shvua of the second Shomer. Now, in a case where they always trust the second Shomer, So they lose that claim. They cannot say we don't trust the second Shomer's vow because that's obviously false. They do trust him. So in that case, we apply the principle that the second Shomer's vow exempts the first Shomer from his obligation to make a vow. So that's the basic idea of this halacha. Says Rab Chaim, obviously this could only work if the second Shomer also has an obligation of the Shvuas HaShomrin. He can't just make a vow out of the blue with no context. It has to be that he's also a Shomer who has an obligation to make this vow. So his Shvuas HaShomrin is able to exempt the first Shomer's obligation to make the vow. But if the second Shomer has no status as a Shomer, he's just making a vow like a random regular person. So that vow is not going to exempt the first Shomer. So it's clear from this halacha that the only time it could apply is if the second Shomer has an equal status as a Shomer to the first Shomer, which is in fact the case because the first Shomer is a Shomer of the owners and then the second Shomer was made a Shomer by the first Shomer. So they both have status as a Shomer and that's how the vow of the second one can exempt the first one. Now, if the level of Shmira went down, so the first Shomer was paid, the second Shomer is free. So a free Shomer does not have to pay if the object is lost or stolen, whereas a paid Shomer does have to cover those damages as well. So now there is a difference between what these two Shomers are obligated to pay. So when the free Shomer says, I'm not obligated to cover these damages, what he's saying is that the damages were no worse than Gzela Vaveda if it was stolen or lost. In other words, I did not damage this actively. I am not responsible for what happened more than the level of Gzela Vaveda. So whatever happened was less my responsibility than as if it had been stolen or lost. And that's why I don't have to cover the damages. Even if he says that this was a total freak accident, that aliens landed and destroyed the object. So it's way more of an onus. It's way less of his fault than if it was stolen or lost. But he doesn't need to make that claim. 
all he needs to say in order to be exempt at the very minimum is that whatever happened was not more of his responsibility than as if it had been stolen. Meaning he didn't take a hammer and smash this object. So the claim of the Shomer Chinam is always on the level that whatever damages happened were no more his responsibility than if it was stolen or lost. That is not going to help the Shomer Sachar because that level of damage Damages of stolen or lost, the Shomer Sachar does have to compensate for. So the claim of the Shomer Chinam and the vow that he makes does not exempt the Shomer Sachar because effectively the free Shomer is vowing that it was on the level of Gzela Aveda, and that vow would not exempt the Shomer Sachar. Even if the Shomer Chinam says that this was a total freak accident, which would exempt also Shomer Sachar, but again, his vow doesn't go all the way to that level. It stops at the level of saying this was the equivalent of Gzela Aveda, and that level vow does not exempt the Shomer Sachar. Now, even though he is making a vow that this was an onus, it was a total accident, there was no way to control it, but in terms of the onus claim, he's like a random person making a vow. He's not a Shomer making a vow. So a random vow is not going to exempt the first Shomer. So this explains why when they minimize the Shmira, the second Shomer's vow cannot exempt the first Shomer, even if the owners believe the second Shomer, because that's not the big problem here. It's not an issue of belief. It's a more fundamental issue that the vow of the second Shomer, who's a free Shomer, does not exempt the first Shomer, who was a paid Shomer. So even if the owners believe the second Shomer, it's not going to exempt the first Shomer unless there are witnesses. So that's why the Rambam does not list that exemption in the second part of this halacha, only in the first part where there are equal levels of Shomers. So then the second Shomer's vow is a Shavuos HaShomerin. It's the same level vow as the first Shomer is obligated to make. So his vow can exempt the first Shomer, assuming there's no issue of believability. But now says Rab Chaim, even though this is a nice logical explanation, it does not fit into the language of the Rambam. Because the Rambam explained why the first Shomer is obligated when he minimizes the level of Shmira. He said because he was a Posheya, because since he was neglectful in giving this object to a lower level Shomer, so that's why he's responsible. Now, according to Rab Chaim, it's a different reason why he's responsible. Because since the second Shomer can't exempt him from a shvua, so therefore he has to pay because if he can't figure out a way to get the shvua done, so then he has to pay. So according to Rab Chaim, the real problem is that since there's no shvua to exempt him, so he has to pay, whereas the Rambam says he has to pay because he was a posheya, he was neglectful. So the language of the Rambam indicates unlike Rab Chaim's explanation. So Rab Chaim explains this based on a Gemara in Babakama Kofches. Boy Ravina Chomesh what happens if there's two different guys, one owes the extra fine of a fifth 
and one owes the extra fine of double. So could such a thing be? So the Gemara asks, what is the case? The case is where the owner gave his animal to two people to watch. And then they claimed that it was stolen. So they tried to exempt themselves by saying that it was stolen and they swore falsely to that effect. One of them swore and then he admitted that he swore falsely. So he has to pay an extra fifth. And the other swore and then witnesses came and testified that it was false. So he would have to pay double. So Ravina's question is whether such a thing could be for the same basic transaction. But Rab Chaim wants to point out something totally different from this Gemara. That we see that in a case where someone gave their animal to two Shomers, neither one of them is exempted by the Shvua of the other Shomer. Because if the Shvua of one Shomer could exempt the other one, so then in this case, the first guy who made the Shvua is going to be obligated for swearing falsely. But the second one's Shvua is irrelevant. So he's certainly not going to be punished for having sworn falsely because he did not need to make a Shavuah to begin with. His partner already made the Shavuah and that covered him. So he was exempt from making a Shavuah. So obviously the fact that the Gemara considers both of these Shavuahs of both Shomer to both be valid Shavuahs that need to be dealt with, obviously neither one of them exempts the other one. But in a case where there are two Shomers, they both have to make a Shavuah. So now this raises the question of what's the difference in this case where the first Shomer gave the animal to the second Shomer. In other words, if the owners gave the animal to two Shomers in partnership, then they both have to make their own Shvua. But if the owners give it to one Shomer and then the first Shomer passes it along to the second Shomer, so there the halacha is clear that the Shvua of the second Shomer does exempt the first Shomer. So why should that be? Why don't they both have to make their own shvua because they're both shomers? So it must be that the basis of that halacha is that the second shomer totally replaces and takes the place of the first shomer. So he's the stand-in for the first shomer who is no longer a shomer. If both shomers are partners, so then they both remain a shomer and they both have to make a shvua. But where the first shomer passes it along to the second Shomer. So the second Shomer is the stand-in and takes the place of the first Shomer who loses his status as a Shomer. So that's why only the second Shomer makes a vow and that exempts the first Shomer. So now that's the basis of this halacha. It's not just as Rab Chaim said in the first formulation that the second Shomer could exempt the first Shomer because since he also has an obligation of a Shavuos HaShomrin, so that obligation exempts the first Shomer, it's more than that. It's that the second Shomer replaces the first Shomer. He is his stand-in. So now the first Shomer is not even a Shomer in this case anymore. So building on that, Rab Chaim adds that that's why if the owners say, we don't believe the second Shomer's Shvua, it does not exempt the first Shomer. It's not an issue of a Shvua. This is not a halacha from the laws of Shvua that since the owners don't believe the second Shomer, so that Shvua doesn't have the power to exempt the first Shomer's obligation of a Shvua. Rather, this is an issue in the Shmir 
Torah, in the watching, it comes from the halachas of a shomer, that since the owners don't believe the second shomer, so he can't replace the first shomer. The idea of the second shomer replacing the first shomer means that he's his stand-in, and he takes over all of the various aspects of the shmirah. But in this case, where he can't do so, because the owners don't believe him, so the second shomer cannot take over the obligation of the Shvuas HaShomrin. He can't take over that aspect of the Shmirah. So he's not a full stand-in for the first Shomer. So it means that the first Shomer never replaced himself and he's still obligated to make a Shvuah. So that's the better formulation of this Halacha according to Rab Chaim in the second approach that the key issue here is whether the first Shomer is replaced or not. Now ordinarily he is replaced by the second Shomer. That's why he doesn't have to make a shvua. But if the owners put up a fuss, they say, we don't believe the second shomer. So now the first shomer is not replaced. So now he is obligated to make a shvua. And since he can't, then he has to pay. So that's the explanation for this halacha. So now that explains very beautifully why the Rambam says that when he minimized the shmirah, so if the first shomer gave it to a worse shomer, so then the second shomer cannot exempt him with a shvua because that second shomer does not replace the first Shomer because he's not an equal level Shomer. Only two equal level Shomers can we say that the second one replace the first one. But if the second one is a lower level Shomer, so he does not replace the first one. So the first one is still obligated to make a Shvua, and since he can't, then he has to pay. But the second one cannot exempt him from a Shvua, even though they both are a Shomer. So it is true. The first Shomer is a paid Shomer. The second Shomer is a free Shomer. They're both a Shomer and they both have to make a vow. But that's like the equivalent of the case where the owners themselves gave the animal to two Shomers to watch in partnership where they both have to make a Shvua. So anytime the second Shomer does not replace the first Shomer, they both have to make a Shvua. And that's the situation when the first Shomer gives it to a worse Shomer, that he's not replaced. So they both have to make a Shvua. And that's why the Rambam says that the second Shomer Shvua is not going to exempt the first Shomer even if the owners believe him because it's not an issue of believability it's an issue that the second Shomer does not replace the level of the first Shomer so the first Shomer is still a Shomer and has an obligation to make a Shvua Sashomrim regardless of the believability of the second Shomer's Shvua so this formulation very nicely explains why the Rambam limits the exemption in the second case only to when there's witnesses, not when the owners believe the second Shomer. And it fits into the language of the Rambam that the first Shomer is a posheya. He was negligent. That was the problem with the first interpretation that it didn't fit into that phrase that the first Shomer is negligent because it wasn't about the first Shomer's negligence. It was a problem that the second Shomer's Shvua could not exempt the first Shvua. But now according to the second formulation, so that phrase fits nicely because the Rambam is trying to say that since the first Shomer 
gave it to a lower level Shomer, he did not replace himself, meaning that's the understanding of he was negligent, that he did not replace himself fully. So now he's still a Shomer along with the second Shomer and they both have to make a Shavua. So this second formulation explains the logic of the Rambam as well as fits into the language of the Rambam. So that is Rab Chaim's piece. He offers two interpretations to make sense of why the Rambam omits that in the second case where the second Shomer is a lower level Shomer, the exemption of the owners believing the second Shomer does not apply. So Rab Chaim has two different explanations, either because the second Shomer's vow is not on the same level as the first Shomer, so it's like a random vow, which does not exempt the first Shomer, or secondly, because the second Shomer does not displace the first Shomer, so both of them are Shomers together, so they both have to make a vow. So that's Rab Chaim's explanation for the Rambam. The key conceptual point that Rab Chaim develops is, as he developed in earlier pieces, that the reason why a first Shomer who gives to a second Shomer is exempt is because the second Shomer replaces the first Shomer and he becomes now the only Shomer. So that's an important theme that Rab Chaim develops in a few pieces. And in the first half of this piece, he also makes another key point that when a Shomer Chinam makes a vow that this damage happened without his control, it was an ones, he could not have prevented it. He's really making a vow that this was no worse than Gzela Vaveda because that's the level beyond which anything more than that, that he's less responsible for, he does not have to pay. So he's not really making a vow as to what happened. He's making a vow that he doesn't have to pay because what happened was at least as low responsibility as Gzela Vaveda. So that's also an important point. Now, interestingly, even though Rab Chaim prefers the second approach because he thinks that the first approach doesn't fit into the language of the Rambam who calls the first Shomer a Poshea, but a number of major commentators do discuss this Rambam and they do primarily go with Rab Chaim's first approach. So Diktsos in Simen Reish Tzadi Aleph Sifkat and Yud Beis raises the same question on the Rambam that the Mishnah Lamelech asked, but he quotes this question from the Beis Yosef quoting Rabbeinu so there's a much earlier source for the Mishnah Lamelech's question. And then the Ktsos offers a very similar approach to Rab Chaim's first formulation that the second Shomer, who's a lower level Shomer, he's a Shomer Chinam, his vow does not cover the first Shomer's obligation of a Shvua. Now, the Ktsos presents this answer a little differently than Rab Chaim. Rab Chaim focused on the fact that the second Shomer does not need to swear to anything more than Gzela Vaveda. The Ktsos presents it differently that the owners do not believe the second Shomer's vow on anything more than Gzela Vaveda because that's not in his responsibility, so he's not believed to make a vow on that. So there's a little bit of a different emphasis, but it's the same basic idea that the second Shomer's vow does not completely fulfill the obligation of the vow, which the first Shomer would have had to make. Now, interestingly, the Ktsos' brother, who also wrote a commentary on Choshen Mishpat, the Truma Sakri, so in Simen Reish Tzari Aleph, he also addresses this issue, 
and he gives a similar answer to his brother, the Ktsos. So those brothers, there were four boys in the family, they were overall unbelievable in their learning. That father did a great job. But in this regard, two of his sons, the Ktsos and the Trumasakri, were thinking along similar lines. Now, Reb Kiva Eger in Bab Metziah Lamed Vav also discusses this, and he too suggests a very similar approach. But Reb Kiva Eger does raise the issue that Reb Chaim raises, that this approach doesn't seem to fit into the language of the Rambam, who says that the first Shomer is a Posheya. So the Rambam seems to say the issue is not so much in the Shvua, but that the first Shomer did something negligent. So Reb Kiveger tries to fit this into the language of the Rambam, unlike Reb Chaim, who goes in a totally different direction because of that. So three major achronim, Reb Kiveger, the Ktsos, and the Trumasakri, are basically saying a very similar idea. Now the Marshal, the Shach, quotes that he raised an issue against the Rambam, which is if the first Shomer was a Posheya, so why is he exempt even if there's witnesses? Forget about this issue of whether the second Shomer can make a Shavua and exempt the first Shomer. Even witnesses shouldn't be able to exempt him if he's a Posheya. So the Lechem Mishnah in Schirus Ches Dalid and the Shar Mishpat on Simen Reish Tzadi Aleph, so they explain that even though the first Shomer giving it to the second Shomer is negligent, but since the damages were not due to negligence, so the first Shomer is not obligated so long as there's witnesses to prove that this was not a case of negligence. In other words, it's not an automatic negligence no matter what happens. It's only negligent if the second Shomer doesn't watch it at all and there's something that damages the animal that could have been avoided. But in this case where the second Shomer did watch the animal, so the first Shomer could be exempt as long as there's witnesses. But now we come back to the explanation of the Ktsos and Reb Kiva Eger that when there's no witnesses, we're relying on the second Shomer's Shvua, so that Shvua does not cover the cases where the first Shomer would have been obligated. So there's a delicate balance here. On the one hand, the witnesses could exempt the first Shomer, but there's an issue with the second Shomer's Shvua that it would not exempt the first Shomer. So that's how the Ktsos and Reb Kiva Eger both present a similar approach, but they have different emphases. And the Pischei Tshuva, in his commentary on Shulchan Aruch, also quotes from the Tshuvas Vishav HaKohen that he also gave a similar explanation, and again, he formulates it a bit differently. He says that the Shvua of a Shomer is more strict than a regular Shvua. So when a Shomer Chinam makes a Shvua, that this was an ones, it was an accident, so that Shvua is divided. In terms of exempting himself, it's a Shvua Shomrin. but more than that, the part that's over and above Gzela Vaveda is just a regular Shvua. So that's why it doesn't cover the first Shomer, because he needs a Shvua Shomrin on the entire thing. So again, a very similar idea that the second Shomer Shvua is not sufficient for the first Shomer because in terms of the extra over and above the Gzela Aveda, he does not have the same strictness as a Shvua HaShomrin. So that's how the Pischei Tshuva explains this detail in the Rambam. So there are a number of Achronim who do follow this first approach of Rab Chaim, even though he himself didn't like it because of the language of the Rambam, but these other Achronim do accept that approach. Now, there are also other other achronim on the other side who follow Rab Chaim's second approach. So the Nesivis in Sifkat and Lamed Aleph, he questions this whole idea of the Ktsos and Rab Chaim in the first approach that when the second Shomer makes a vow, it's like divided. He's only believed up to the Gzela Vaveda level and not beyond that. 
So the Nesivis asks that a vow has to be true. So if the animal actually died on its own, the Shomer can't swear that the animal was stolen. That would be a false vow. He has to actually say what happened. So even though the Shomer Chinam does not need to prove that the animal died on its own to be exempt, but he does have to swear truthfully as to what happened. And if that's what happened, then that is his vow. So the Nesivis asks, what does it mean that the Ktsos says that the Shomer Chinam is only believed up to the level of Gzela Vaveda, but not beyond that, once we're believing his vow, he should be fully believed whatever he says happened. You can't divide that he's partially believed. And this is also a question on Rab Chaim's formulation. Rab Chaim said that the Shomer Chinam is really only swearing that there was Gzela Vaveda, meaning he's exempt, but he's not swearing beyond that. But as the Nesivis asks, what does that mean? The Shomer Chinam has to say the truth. So whatever he swears happens has to be believed fully. So how can we say that he's not believed beyond the level which exempts himself? So the Nesivis questions this whole approach of Reb Kiveger and the Ktsos and Reb Chaim's first approach. He doesn't think that it makes sense on a logical level to divide the Shvua of the Shomer Chinam. Once we believe him, he's fully believed even if he doesn't need that level to be exempt, in which case he should be able to exempt the first Shomer as well. So the Nesivis explains this along the lines of Rab Chaim's second approach, that the issue is not in the Shvua, it's in the Shmira. That since the first Shomer minimized the level of Shmira, so the owners would never have accepted that. If it's an equal level of Shmira, so then the second Shomer is also a Shomer because the owners would have been okay with that. But if the level of Shmira goes down, then the owners would not have wanted that. So this second Shomer is not a Shomer and therefore he cannot exempt the first Shomer with his Shvua. So again, this approach is very similar to Rab Chaim's second approach that the problem here is in the Shmira because the second Shomer does not replace the first Shomer, but they formulated a little differently. According to Rab Chaim, the second Shomer doesn't replace the first Shomer because he's not an equal Shomer. Whereas according to the Nesivis, the issue is whether the owners would have agreed to this switch from the first Shomer to the second Shomer, and they would only agree to that if they're equal level Shomers. And it's also worth pointing out that Reb Naftali Trapp and the Chidusha Granat on Bamitzia Lamidvav, so he also suggests this approach. Like the Nesivis said, that if the second Shomer is a worse Shomer, then the owners would not have agreed to this, so he does not become their Shomer.